Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A new museum exhibition that just opened in Santa Fe is both a revelation and a celebration. The grounded in clay exhibit showcases more than 100 pots from a collection that was previously inaccessible to both the Pueblos and the public. Now more than 60 people from 23 tribal communities are presenting the pots along with their personal and cultural connections to them. We'll get a preview coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Last year, we reported on how the Coquel tribe was using a special electrified boat from the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife to remove invasive bass. KLCC's Brian Bull has an update on how that effort is being doubled. Last summer, the ODFW's Gary Vandero explained how his agency's boat worked as he took us up the Coquille River. We have a generator that's underneath the seat, and then there's a box in the steering console that converts the electricity, which is an AC electricity, into a DC electricity, which is a little bit easier on the fish. It just kind of stuns them. This year, through a $100,000 grant from the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde, the Coquille will soon have their own craft. Helena Linnell, Biological Planning and Operations Manager for the Coquel Tribe, explains why it's vital to remove bass. They have been here for over a decade and they are having decimating effects on salmonids, so fall chinook and other salmon species. The tribe expects to have the boat delivered next year so they and the ODFW can double team the invasive bass. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez, who's seeking another term in office, announced his running mate this week during a campaign event in Windorock, Arizona. His pick is Chad Abeda for vice president. Abeda is an Air Force veteran and an attorney. During the event, live streamed on social media, Abeda talked about his qualifications and vision for the administration if they win. I bring to the table leadership skills, critical thinking, and I have um, a nice plan to use creative solutions to, to addressing a lot of these things. And uh, I, I'll be in support of President Snez um, and his uh, platform, and uh, like, I'd like to continue that the work that he's doing so far. Nez received the most votes for president in the August primary. The second top vote-getter was Boo Nigren, who also announced his running mate this week. Nigren chose Rochelle Montoya, a local community leader and school board member, for vice president. If elected, Montoya would be the first woman vice president of the Navajo Nation. During a campaign event also held in Windorock, Arizona, and streamed live on social media, Montoya says she has strong matriarchs, past and present. Nine sisters that brought my teaching, my prayers, my songs to who I am today. I have no doubt in what they taught me. I have no doubt in that I can stand here and be a running mate for Mr. Dr. Bruno Niger. Nigren says his campaign is about the voices of the people, and a lot of people across Navajo land express the need for women leadership in the president's office. Voters will head to the polls to pick their next president during the general election in November. 
Pueblo leaders are condemning the defacement and desecration of cultural property in Bandelier National Monument in New Mexico. The All-Pueblo Council of Governors, which represents 20 Pueblo nations in New Mexico and Texas, recently received notice from the National Park Service of vandalism and damage to Akiva. Pueblo leaders are calling for improved management of the area for preservation of sacred landscapes and for the public to stop desecrating traditional cultural properties. The latest incident at the monument marks the fifth such known vandalism in the area. The National Indian Gaming Commission on Wednesday released 2021 Indian gaming revenue numbers totaling $39 billion, an increase of 40% from 2020. According to the commission, it's the highest in Indian gaming history. The latest numbers show many tribal gaming operations have found ways to rebound from the pandemic. The calculations come from financial statements from 510 tribal gaming operations. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. So AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org veterans who support this show. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. A new exhibition of pottery in Santa Fe represents a starting point for a creative and educational effort by Pueblo representatives, working for more than a dozen years to add their voices to two museum collections. More than 60 people from 21 tribal communities are personally curating the exhibition, Grounded in Clay, the Spirit of Pueblo Pottery. Each of the curators is adding their personal and cultural perspectives on selected pieces from a combined collection of more than 5,000 items. It just opened at Santa Fe's Museum of Indian Arts and Culture and is a traveling exhibit heading to New York's Metropolitan Museum of Art next year. The exhibit also commemorates the 100th anniversary of the creation of the Santa Fe Indian Arts Research Center's pottery collection. We'll hear from those involved in the exhibition, but we also want to hear from you. Join our arts and culture conversation today by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also make a comment on our social media pages, our Twitter handle at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a shout out. Speaking with us now from Santa Fe, New Mexico is Tony Chavarria. He is the curator of ethnology at the Museum of Arts, Indian Arts and Culture, and he is Santa Clara Pueblo. Tony, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you, and good day to you. Well, Tony, some of the pots in the Grounded in Clay exhibition have been in storage for many years. What is the story of the collections the exhibit represents? Yes, so these um, collections were developed yeah, at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, it was part of that period where it was what they were calling that salvage ethnology, where they uh, they were saying, oh, you know what? Uh, these tribes are disappearing and they're disappearing fast. We need to collect, you know, 
this material, you know, while they're still around and while we still can. So they started collecting these pieces, you know, of um, different areas. Um, and, you know, this is basically not just pottery, but, you know, throughout the, um, you know, the America. But in this region, particularly like the pottery because of the public cultures, that's was one of those um, uh, elements of, of what they called material culture that really defined that people, you know, was that they were potters. So they started collecting these, um, uh, these uh, pieces uh, from different ages, you know, um, from, from many different communities to build these collections um, and then to have material for the different museums that were starting to come about at that same time. Now, you have a large group of curators, 60 people. Why so many? Oh, so the, the, uh, the school, the Vilcek Foundation, thought it was important to, you know, to do a project, but to make it very different. You know, oftentimes when, um, even today, when Native people are even involved in the curation, that, that still there's still like an internal institutional voice that is like is still at the final product. And they said they wanted that, that people's voices to continue through the entire project and then to be to be featured in the ex the exhibition, so they so they wanted to um, approach these uh, different people. Not all potters, but many of them are, um, but people who definitely have experience with it. People who have lived with it. I mean, maybe their relatives do it. They do it themselves, um, and so that that people will have this connection to it. That be, it is still part of their culture. That it still continues to thrive, and that. It's, but it's, you know, based and has a foundation in the past. And so that people like recognize it, but it's in a different way than like a standard museum curator that they see beauty in all of the works and not just things that people might consider masterpieces, but that everything is made with the same materials um, in the same way that you would make, you know, um, <laughs> like a frog ashtray as opposed to a large storage jar. There's the same materials, the same offerings are made and they wanted to have people's voices reflect that. So that's why they approached so many people to be a part of the project. Now, is that challenging to identify 60 curators? What went into the selection process? Oh, absolutely. The, they uh, went through, uh, often starting with people that they had worked with before, um, you know, cause then, you know, you're like, uh, well, we've worked with them. They, you know, they've been very helpful. So you kind of start with them and then you kind of like reach out, you go to, they went to many different markets to talk to people, um, even to like different feast days and talk to people and ask them, you know, are you interested? And if not, um, do you know someone who might be interested? And so, you, yeah, so you, you start, you know, uh, kind of close and you expand out and then eventually they came down to that number, you know, they, they approach, you know, um, uh, probably like twice that number. And then, you know, there's really about, you know, the 60 who said that, oh yeah, I would like to be involved. You know, some people, you know, they, I was, oh no, I'm, that's okay. Or I'm busy or, it just didn't work out for them. And, but, um, but they, again, they oftentimes would recommend someone else. This large collection of historic pottery pieces curated by fellow people, community people, grassroots people. So, so what's your feedback so far from visitors? Cody, are you there? Yeah. Um, it's been uh, quite um, an adventure and it's gotten um, some good um, uh, attention. And so there's um, definitely a lot of visitors. I was literally just in the gallery and there is just a lot of people in there. Um, some of them saw the uh, pieces in the, the local paper. And so they, so a person was just in there now, he's in his 90s, who um, hadn't been to the museum in the 50 years he's lived here. 
and because of that article, he came in to see Grounded in Clay. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Now, other pieces are more recent, 1990s, early 2000s. Do these newer pieces resonate with culture and symbolism in the way that the older ones do culture and Tony, yeah, you um, I, comment? Okay. I, I heard sorry. part of that, yes. I yeah, I was asking you, you about the, some of the newer pieces. Do they resonate with the same impact that the older pieces do? Oh, yes, absolutely. There is a piece, a tribute piece um, in there from Zuni Pueblo that has the hand of, I believe, like at least six different artists. And it's the story when you read about it is just, you know, it's so touching and, and memorable. There are other pieces um, that were um, made, you know, fair, fairly recently that are still con contemporary that are just stunning pieces like Lonnie V. Hill's um, large um, reduction fired micaceous storage jar that would be fitting in any museum anywhere and any gallery anywhere. It's just that incredible piece, but it's something that, you know, he built on his kitchen table. You know, and and the thing is that it's, it's this object of incredible beauty. Yet, if you needed to, it could hold water. It, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just they're just it's these amazing, you know, amazing works that have these these different roles and different lives. Well, give us some more highlights and and some of your favorite pieces in the collection. What are they? Oh gosh, um, yeah, there are some. There is this uh, pieces from. There's one they call is called um, IAF one. It's like their catalog number. So it's the first a piece that was um, uh, saved in a sense, you know, that they collected at the, what was called the Indian Arts Fund, which at, at the school, the Indian Arts Research Center. And so that is like kind of like their, uh, their uh, origin piece. And it's this, uh, this early Akama, um, a water jar, an Oya, that is just this incredible like feather designs. And it's one of the pieces that's in the front. And then there are these two, um, Oh, Tewa, um, a lidded storage jars. They're massive that Nora Naranjo Morse um, uh, selected and wrote about because they reminded her of her, of her own twins. And then there are these uh, fig figurines that these things that you would normally wouldn't expect to see, like you know, in like a, a big art exhibit, but that people like was very taken by them. And there's a one that here that uh, uh, Patrick Cruz um, picked is a a, a porcupine that is built as a toothpick holder from Okeawinge and then had these little holes and then we put the toothpicks in so that he has his quills now so that he's deb being debuted for the public for the first time, you know, in, uh, in his full you know, regalia, if you wish. And uh, then there's pieces that are broken because um, many museums have pieces like that, but they never see the light of day. But people pick these things because they want to remind people that in a way, all of us also have our own, you know, damage and that we need to remember that and that, that, and that just because something is damaged is no less deserving of, of a love and respect and care, you know, just, just like as, as our own, our, ourselves and our, you know, our, sometimes even our family can be that way. And it's something to remind us. And so I found something like Camille Bernal picked from Taos, that uh, broken piece that I thought was just very, very uh, touching. Well, folks, we are learning more about this new exhibition in Santa Fe, Grounded in Clay, the Spirit of Pueblo Pottery. 
Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. If you've got a question, if you've got a comment, if you want to learn more about this exhibition, again, that number is 1-800-996-2848. Let's hear from another Grounded in Clay curator, Josephine Kai. She's a contemporary and traditional potter who speaks with us from her home in the village of Siama on tribal lands of Laguna Pueblo. Josie, sister, we go back a long ways. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Goatsi. Goatsi, say hope to everyone. It's, I'm so honored to be here today. Um, and thank you for reaching out. You know, this has been such an honor to be a part of this Grounded in Clay from the get-go. And just like Tony had mentioned, I was approached you know, at a few art shows, and I was thinking to myself, do they have the right person? Are they talking to the right person? Because, you know, I'm a first-generation potter, and to be a part of all these people that were chosen, you know, they, they're, they've lived with pottery their whole life, and, and here I am. But like I said, everyone keeps telling me, you're, you're, it, it's you, the clay is part of you, as is with everyone that was selected, you know, and it's, we're, we're one, we're all one. And, and that's how I feel, you know, after being chosen and being educated, you know, so much through this program that I was, you know, chosen for. So I, like I said, it's just an honor to be a part of this. And, you know, and again, thank you for having me today. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more with Josie after the break. And I really like what she said, the pottery, it's you, it's part of you, it's in your blood. And she's a first generation potter from Laguna Pueblo. Folks, get in on this conversation. 1-800-996-2848. You can also reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter, social media. We're everywhere. Give us a holler. Native America Calling. You're listening. We'll be back right after this break. The migratory monarch butterfly was just officially listed as endangered. Habitat destruction and climate change have fueled a drastic decline in the insect's numbers. Tribes along the butterfly's migratory route are among those working to protect them. We'll hear about those efforts coming up on the next Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. For listening to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. We're taking a look at the new Pueblo Pottery exhibit, Grounded in Clay. It features more than 100 works at Santa Fe's Museum of Indian Arts and Culture. Let's get some calls going. Tell us your perspective on Pueblo Pottery by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. You can also email us at comments at nativeamericacalling.com. We are speaking right now with Josie Kai. She's one of the curators of the exhibition, and she is a potter from Laguna Pueblo. And Josie, 
earlier Tony Chavaria mentioned that some of the pieces are, are damaged and for the exhibit you selected an Acoma vase from the late 1800s that was in less than perfect condition and why did you choose to showcase a broken pottery? I, I and just like Tony had said you know I didn't see it as broken I saw it as you know slightly used <laughs> you know <laughs> I I I I I did choose this I had seen this pot back in like about 2008 I was an instructor with our culture enrichment program and I would frequent our class up to the school of advanced research and this pot like many other pots in the in the gallery there spoke to me it is an acoma pot and you know I people had asked me why did you choose an acoma pot and and I said you know, my, my instructor, my teacher was my ex-mother-in-law, and she is from Acoma, or she was from Acoma, and she, and I, I felt uh, it was honoring her, you know, and that, in, in that aspect, so, but this pot, just the curves of it, the, the, um, the design was not a uniform design, they looked placed there, but they all had meaning, and they all had purpose, and I just I just saw the beauty of the the different the different types of designs that were placed on this pot. So, you know, other than the the broken handle, I you know I, I saw so much beauty in the curves, feeling the inside of it, feeling the the handprints that once you know were used to to build this pot. So it was just it spoke to me, and. No. Josie, yeah. as I understand it, you felt such a strong connection to the vase that you replicated it in your own style. What inspired you? Yes, I did. Well, I, like I said, I had seen this pot like about three times before I decided to replicate this pot in, in just the shape. I love the shape and again, the designs, but I, I wanted, you know, that was my personal challenge. I, I, cause I could see two grandmas or two, you know, people hauling water, holding the handles. And, you know, I had this whole picture in my mind of how it was used, when it was used, and, and how smooth it was on the inside and out and how on the handles where they held it. I just, I just fell in love with it. And so as I was building this pot on my kitchen table, um, I was halfway through, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, was expecting my first grandchild, so I was halfway through this pot, sitting at my kitchen table, and she called me, and it's time. So I explained to the pot, I will be back. I will finish and complete what I started. So I wrapped up the pot and explained to it, I will be back. And my first granddaughter was born. So a few days after, I returned back to the pot and completed it. And everything just went so smoothly. And the pot that I um, recreated, I named the pot after my first granddaughter, which is Abigail. So it's known as the Abigail pot. And I gifted that to her, you know, after she was born, about a few weeks after she came home. Yeah. So, I mean, so many things went into the reasons I, I replicated it. But like I said, I've always thought a connection to that pot because of um, my vision of the use that the women used it for back then. So, so yeah, that's my little story. And that's the story I wrote about, you know, in the catalog 
was um, about my granddaughter. It's an absolutely beautiful story, and, and congratulations uh, on your granddaughter. Congratulations to you and your family, and and this beautiful pot, and of course the original pot that you curated as well. Speaking with Josie Kai from Laguna Pueblo, give us a call if you got a question. One eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight, and we have a caller on the line now. Nicole, listening in Gallup, New Mexico, on KGLP. Nicole, thanks for calling in. Good morning, Sean. Josie. Thank you so much for blessing me this morning with your story. Oh, gosh, it just really hit my heart. I'm very thankful that I'm a Native American. I'm Navajo and Coach de Pueblo. And, you know, I have a question with the broken pottery. Uh, I'm just wondering, for me, when I see the broken pieces all over the place, I want to pick them and, and, and take them home and, try to unite them like I want all the 19 Pueblos to be united and stand strong for their for their people but and I know that the Navajo people have so much respect for the Pueblo um, people that they tell us not to pick them but I'm just wondering you know why in the Pueblo culture why are the broken pieces uh, there and should I pick them Nicole, thanks for calling in with that question. Let's go ahead and let Josie answer that. Josie, these these pottery shards, pieces broken out in the desert, what do people need to understand about them? How I was taught was the broken pieces. Um, we we break pottery. When pottery is broken, the Pueblos have a word, and it's um, when a pottery is intentionally broken, we say, Te'echa, let it rain, you know, and we... Broken pottery, there's many reasons for it. But, um, and I understand also about the Navajo, you know, having that respect for the broken pieces because at an art show in Gallup one year, I had displayed a few broken pots and a Navajo man walked up to me and said, we cannot touch those. You need to put those away. And I respectfully did. And I asked him why. And just like Nicole had stated, you know, they have so much respect and not to touch them, but so many people have brought me pottery shards, you know, old pottery shards. If they go on a hike, they bring them to me because in our new clay that we um, process, we use the old shards, we grind them up and reuse them as a primer in our clay, you know. So, again, they, they've done this for many years, and I always say, they were recycling long before we were. So they always reuse it, and that's what we do. So I have so many people that always bring me shards, think of me, even if it's one shard that they bring me. I use that, and I, again, everything is done in prayer. So, so yeah, that's how, that's how I see the broken shards, you know, is just new material, I mean, old material for our new pot. So a little bit of old always goes into the new clay. Recycling, let it rain, let it rain. Thank you, Josie. We have another guest, another curator from the exhibition, and this is a voice familiar to Native America calling audiences. Tara Gatewood is currently a director with the International Women's Media Foundation. She's a curator with the Grounded in Clay Project, and she is an enrolled citizen of the Pueblo of Isleta. Tara, what more can I say? Welcome back, and please feel free to further introduce yourself. 
um, really great to be joining you here today, um, calling in from Shirhuipdui, a.k.a. Isleta Pueblo. And uh, it's pretty fun to be back on uh, old stomping grounds on the air. So thank you. Thank you for creating space for me today. Well, I'll tell you, Tara, you are a tough act to follow, but I'm hanging in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to ask you, you have two pots that you curate in the exhibit. What drew you to this project and to those pots, one of which is very, very old? Sure. Well, definitely, I think just hearing um, what Josie shared and also Tony about what's really going on here, you know, thinking about, you know, what this is a really an invitation to. And I think through the whole process, um, these different pieces, it was about feeling the love of our ancestors. And so many times we talk about the life that we're living and why we're living it and who we're living it for. And to think of all those people in the future whom we may never get to meet, but we're thinking about them or either we make decisions so that their life will be better. And so this was a real life moment to feel that, to touch these pieces that these ancestors made and to wonder how much they thought of me and and how much they thought of all the people who were involved um, in this. And so I think it's that actuality of seeing the other side of the thing that we talk about so much of who we are going to affect in the future. And I think um, standing there in front of a couple of these pieces, it really, it really made it come true and, and thinking about that and maybe even ups our obligation to future generations as well of what we do and how much of our decisions are, are going to affect their lives in the future and so the two pieces that I chose, one of them, it's specifically, I, I say it kind of called me uh, as I was going through the collection and just meeting all of these different creations. There was one that had a catalog number with 869 on it, and that's the prefix uh, in a sleda, and I just couldn't help but laugh and was like, okay, I think this one, I think this is the one that um, um, it really wants to be um, a part of of my life, and so um, that was what really drew me to the one piece. And it's actually okay. I think we lost Tara there. Josie, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, Josie, I think we lost Tara there. I'm sorry, folks. We're having some audio difficulties today, but I'm going to go ahead and go back to Josie Kai. And, and Josie, you're also a teacher. You teach other people how to make pottery. And one of your students, um, they referred to the clay used for making pottery as Indian gold. And I want to ask you, what makes it so special from clay that's sold in art stores? Yeah, so I was um, an instructor starting from in 2006 to 2011 here in the Pueblo of Laguna through our culture enrichment program. And initially I, I would teach the techniques with the non-traditional clay and, and and along the way, you know, teach them how we're going to go get clay, teach them the lessons that I was taught that you just do not go get clay on a whim. It's done in prayer. It's done out of respect. So, I said, you know, and I and I educated them along the way to that point to where we were going to go get clay. And um, I had a class of 25 people, and I told them, I said, this is work. It, it, it's, it's not an easy thing, but you have to be prayerful and have it in your heart to do this. 
And the day to go get clay, five students showed up. So I knew they were serious about it. And we went to the, you know, to go and hike, get the clay, not only the clay, but grinding the, our, the, the shards um, and all the prayer that goes into it. So, I mean, it's not just a one-day thing. You know, you have to process the clay. You got to soak it. You got to grind it as well as the shards. So when we were done, like after like day five of grinding clay and grinding shards, they were so protective of it, you know, because they knew the hard work that went into this. So they, you know, they were like, this is like Indian gold. I mean, all the work that goes, it's a labor of love is what they, you know, summed it up to. And it is. So, yeah, I always remember that. That one student that says, man, this is Indian gold. We got to protect this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Take good care of it. Yeah, for yes, sure. Exactly. 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call if you've got a question or a comment for today's show. We're talking about this new exhibit, Grounded in Clay in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Tara Gatewood, are you there? Can, can you hear me, Tara? Doesn't sound like we've got Tara back. I'm sorry, folks. Tony, I, I want to go back to you because Tara, before she got cut off, she was talking about how she selected those two pieces of pottery. And it, it got me thinking, what was that like for these curators? Did you just bring them down to Santa Fe and just turn them loose and, and just let them go over all these different pieces of pottery and all this old artwork? And they just kind of picked and choose what, what called out to them. How, how did that all play out? Yeah, for the most part, that's literally what happened is that they were just uh, turned loose in the, uh, the storage area, the vault. And they had um, brought in a lot of the uh, pieces from the Vilcek collection as well. They were sitting on tables, sitting on shelves, and people would just go through and basically, you know, look through as long as they wanted to, uh, pick things. And, uh, you know, that, that's, yeah, that's how it came about is they were basically just, yeah, just turned loose and let um, their inspiration and, again, what, like it's just as, as Josie said, whatever like spoke to them and that they would could speak to, you know, that's kind of kind of that discovered their pieces. And what piece did you choose, Tony? Oh, I picked two. I picked one that is uh, they believe is a Tsuki um, uh, uh, jar, and it has um, uh, two uh, panels of what I believe are these turkeys that look they look like they're in a sense they're either they're like they're in flight or they're dancing, but also they could be uh, fighting. Um, I've, I've raised some turkeys myself, and I know, you know how they behave, and yeah, they can be doing sometimes all at once. You know, they can they can be strutting, dancing, um, fighting, you know, and then just acting happy and flying around. So I picked that, and then I also picked a um, a, a storage, uh, an olla, an old uh, kind of like a olla from Santa Clara Pueblo, because that one reminded me of my my grandmother, um, Frances Mirabal Chavaria. She was from Numbe Pueblo and then married my grandpa at Santa Clara and she made pottery all her life and taught all of her children, grandchildren, you know, and then um, uh, her, her kids, um, uh, you know, spouses as well, because she thought it was important one to pass that on, but also that one day she said, you might need to make a living at it because, but there's that whole process behind it. Just like Josie said that these things, you know, they are all, they're made and collected and things are gathered in prayer that there's a, you know, a whole process. It's not just, getting materials, you know, it's basically there's a whole, everything you have to consider about it because, you know, these are, you know, gifts, you know, they're gifts of, of, of clay mother so that, you know, you have to keep that in mind and come approach it with a good heart. So that piece reminds me of her and her lessons and even just I mean, how she, uh, 
some of the clothing that she wore as well, because, um, you know, I still, you know, picture her, um, you know, to this day and try to carry her, her teachings with me and her, her example. Now, Tony, for folks that can't make it up to Santa Fe to see the exhibition in person, are, are any of these images available online? Yes, yes, there is a website. There's a Grounded and Clay website. You can probably just look it up and it'll pop up, you know, just on any internet browser, Grounded in Clay or Grounded in Clay, the Spirit of Pueblo Pottery, and you'll be able to find some images. And then there is also a catalog. Um, it's, uh, you can uh, even buy that, you know, from on the online retailers, Grounded in Clay. And then there's going to be an audiobook as well. That is still in process, but eventually there will be an audiobook. And that is going to, that's amazing because many of the curators read their own pieces. So that's going, it's, that's going to be pretty a great piece to have because you're going to be able to hear all these voices and these stories that, you know, that, that are, they're, they're very, they're real and genuine and, and can be very emotional. Um, just like us with the, the caller, um, you know, who's moved, you know, to, in a sense, almost to tears. Um, it, that's happened in the exhibit. Our deputy director. Tony, I'm sorry. Just, we are going to have to go to break now. Grounded in clay, the spirit of Pueblo pottery. Give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A new groundbreaking pottery exhibition just opened in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we're learning all about it from organizers and curators. Still time to join a conversation at 1-800-996-2848. Have you had a chance yet to check out Grounded in Clay? Tell us what you thought. 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring Tara Gatewood back into the conversation now. She is a director with the International Women's Media Foundation. Tara, are you there? I am here. Hey, glad okay. to be back again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Like I said, we're having some audio challenges today. But Tara, you were talking about about being deeply cognizant of the people who long ago made the pottery in the exhibit. And, and I want to hear more. What did you learn from those ancient relatives by touching a piece of 1,000-year-old pottery? I guess the main thing is life is as it was. And I think... Um, just seeing some of these different pieces, and specifically the Asleta jar, one of the ones that um, I chose to write about and even incorporate um, in an illustration, is this is something that I can relate to as an Asleta woman today, um, the things that we use and the function, and it still fits. And you would think that uh, something that old, you know, there that there may be a gap in understanding, but I could totally see how this piece could immediately be emerged into our, you know, typical uh, Pueblo life um, or our traditional Pueblo life. And I think that was just really exciting to know that, you know, our ancestors were living lives kind of like we are today on different levels. And so many times things are, are mystified or romanticized about life being different, but 
they were people just like we were or that we are today. And I think the other thing uh, that really resounded was resilience that came from the piece, looking at this piece that was created by an Asleta ancestor um, years ago, you know, decades ago, and knowing how strong it's still standing. And so I think that was really, really important to know um, that how closely we are related to our ancestors and so many things in this world try and rip us from that kind of connection or even making us feel like we're other from those ancestors. And so I think that kind of dialogue that was going on between me and the pot was really important. And I think it's also important that I share that with you, your listeners today as well, to understand that that gap, as though time may seem like it's a long time ago, they're almost like outside our door or somebody Mm. that we just talked to yesterday. And I think the more we reclaim that kind of thing, the more kind of empowerment we have um, and, and we stand stronger on our ground. So I think that's something that is really important and exciting about this whole project. And the other piece um, is a Mogion um, piece that dates uh, between uh, 1050 to 1300. And this piece um, comes from what's known as the Mogion region. And that was the first time I ever seen that word or even tried to say that word properly. Um, but it's an area that spans um, from a large area of the southwest, um, north, uh, all the way down to beyond the border. And so the region where this piece could have come from is so huge and so large that one would think that, okay, how do we even find a connection to it? But to me, what got me really excited about this piece was the unknowns, because this piece um, could have been related to so many different areas. It just reminded me of how we did interact in large, um, vast areas through trade, um, through making relatives, and and so much history is there that it kind of represented to me what we were doing with this project, bringing all of these different communities together. And when you take a look at the Mogiam piece, um, it it has these two divots in it, which are Mm -hmm. really puzzling. And I did some questions, um, asked some folks who knew about pottery and and wondered if they knew what specifically these divots were and couldn't come up with an answer. And and maybe there's somebody who will go to this uh, exhibition and and they have an answer, please reach out. Um, I'm curious about it. But just thinking about it and why those divots were placed and knowing that when we think of ourselves as indigenous people, a lot of times everything is intentional, even down to a small gesture. And so thinking of these divots being so predominant in this piece, it must have been intentional. And then comes the question, well, what intention did it have um, so it, it led me to just think out loud. And of course, being a journalist, the questions <laughs> come about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Tara, I, I really like what she said about how our lives parallel the lives of our ancestors. And then the timeline of our people, a thousand years is really just the blink of an eye. And, and joining us now from Santa Fe, New Mexico, we have one more guest on our show today, Alicia Poon. She is this. Uh, at the School for Advanced Research, Indian Arts Research Center Director. Alicia, welcome to Native America Calling. Thank you, Sean. 
Now, Alicia, you guided the Grounded in Clay curating process for two years. How does it feel to finally open the exhibit? Um, it's so exciting to see the hard work of everyone finally come to fruition and to see people really happy about the project. Um, this was really done almost as a pandemic project, even though we definitely did not mean for that to be the case, but that was the reality of it. And for something so beautiful and so powerful to come out of um, these kind of difficult times is truly amazing. And I can only thank all of my colleagues for really stepping up and deciding that, you know, it was important to continue on in this project. Now, the exhibition is currently open in Santa Fe. Next, it's traveling to the Met in New York City. Can you tell us about how that came about? Yeah. And so in 2023, this exhibit is going to travel to uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and Phil Check Foundation in New York City. And um, this was brought about as an idea from our former director, Brian Bio, who had established some connections with the Metropolitan Museum of Art about having some sort of exhibit um, at the Met. This was before Grounded in Clay was even um, a glimmer in our eye. And um, it kind of fell into line and with part of our goal um, in terms of this project, in encouraging other institutions around um, the country to work in a more collaborative manner um, with community in exhibitions. And so um, we really um, pushed and uh, begged and asked um, other institutions to work with us to present this project. And we're really thankful for the Met and the support of the Vilcek Foundation to make this a reality. And then where will the pots go after the exhibition is over? So the exhibit will be at the Met for about nine months. And then um, after the Met, it will travel to the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston and then the St. Louis Art Museum. And so this exhibit at the moment will be uh, traveling uh, through 2025. Through 2025. Alicia, this whole concept for the exhibit is so empowering. More than 100 pieces of native art and culture, which for many years were available to view only by scholars and researchers, and now finally being curated by the people whose ancestors made them. Our exhibition, excuse me, but these kind of exhibitions with a grassroots focus, or even like, I think of it like the democratization of, of native artifacts. Is this common or could this be the start of a trend? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that we're the only ones doing that. We certainly aren't. But um, we, you know, it's not as mainstream as we might like to think it is. Um, I think New Mexico is a wonderful and incredible um, kind of almost like experimental lab for supporting community and how do museums better support community. But on a mainstream whole, it's it's not done as much as we would like to think and not done um, quite at this kind of grassroots level where we kind of turn over um, a huge part of the control over to, you know, the community um, curators that we're working with. 
Now, I know as part of this whole project, there were some guidelines that were created for, for building partnerships among Native communities and museums. And could you tell us, what are the key elements of those guidelines? Yeah, so um, in 2019, we published the guidelines for collaboration. Um, it, it was with a project facilitator, Landis Smith, along with many other institutions and communities that um, gave their input into the project. But the main goal for the guidelines was to create more um, equitable partnerships between museums and the communities that they work with, as well as to offer um, guidelines for communities who want to work with museums, who want to enter museums, but might not have a clear path um, to enter what is sometimes a very murky um, a pathway to uh, work with staff at museums. So we wanted to clarify that a lot. The guidelines themselves can be accessed at guidelinesforcollaboration.info, and they really focus on the um, kind of the collections and conservation and interpretive side of museums. Right now, we're also working on a second document um, in conjunction with the American Alliance of Museums called the Core Standards for Museums with Native American Collections. And yes, I know this sounds like a big mouthful, um, <laughs> but it does kind of expand the ideas of the guidelines uh, to incorporate all areas of museums, such as facilities, risk management, uh, human resources, um, public accountability, things, uh, things like that. And so the idea is to really decenter kind of the traditional hierarchical practices um, that museums have historically been known for. And Alicia, going back to Grounded in Clay, what do you most want exhibition visitors to take away from, from seeing the show? So um, what, what the collective has um, discussed as um, their big takeaways, and this is kind of the marching orders that were given to the exhibit designers, um, was that, uh, that they wanted that to know that pottery is a part of everyone's daily lives, a couple of people's daily lives, and that they wanted visitors to feel like they had just met hundreds of people, not just through the community curators, but through the potteries uh, themselves. And so those are the big two takeaways um, for the collective for this exhibition. Um, but we also realized that the exhibit um, does not just exist uh, for Pueblo people to see alone. Anyone can see this exhibit and be um, entranced by this exhibit. What we wanted the general public to understand is that um, for everyone to understand that the, li the lives of everything and everyone around us, right, not just other people, but other what we might call objects. Um, and the other part of it as an institution is to show what's possible um, when we privilege community voices and to encourage other institutions around the country to do the same. So Pueblo Pottery, part of daily life. I, I really like that. And I want to bring Josie Kai back into our conversation before we wrap up. And Josie, you shared earlier, you are a first generation potter. Uh, your ex-mother-in-law showed you a lot of what you know about making pottery. And uh, so often traditional pottery making, it's passed down among families. And, and what's your advice to a Pueblo person who can't necessarily learn these skills if they don't have a relative to teach them? Yeah, I... Like I said, I am so honored that she taught me. She taught me with intentions to teach her granddaughters. 
my my daughters. So, you know, and I've tried to teach my kids and they've all taken my class and are have sat in with me to to watch and I know they're learning. Whether they take it up, I don't know, but that's my prayer. Um I I I want to um really stress that, you know, I I see these pots in the museums these days. Little did they know that their pots would be there, you know, on this pedestal. But I see it as, you know, we still use these these pots, these vessels in our daily lives, and and we see them still as functional pieces, you know. And I, and I find it so amazing every time I see all these pots, you know, so imperfect but still so beautiful, you know, sitting in museums, sitting in galleries, sitting in vaults, you know. And I and like I said, you know, we were, I think we were born into this. You know, and I, I feel like a, a, a valuable tool in my community because so many people come for that purpose, you know, for these for these vessels today. You know, um, it, it's an honor all the way around, and it's a blessing. And, you know, and that that's just how I see it. And Josie, Laguna is one of the Pueblos. It's not associated with pottery as much as some of the other Pueblos. And, and here you, you teach, you, you explain, you share all of your skills and all of your knowledge. And do you see that as part of your responsibility to your people to foster that legacy of pottery making there at Laguna? Oh, I do. I mean, like right now, I can think of a handful of people that do the traditional pottery. And with the programs that the tribe is creating, you know, we can build, we, we have built those numbers, you know, and no, and I, I think that's my little loophole, you know, because there aren't so many Laguna potters, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a hand in making those numbers higher and I pride myself in that. And I do it out of love for the culture, for our, for our traditional purposes that we use these vessels for. And, and it's, it's who we are. You know, so keeping that alive is vital. Well, folks, I'm sorry. We're going to have to wrap up this terrific conversation. And before we do, to all of our guests, Tony Chavarria, Alicia Poon, Josie Kai, and Tara Gatewood, thank you all for introducing us to this exciting new exhibition, Grounded in Clay, the Spirit of Pueblo Pottery. Join us again tomorrow for another enlightening conversation. We'll talk about tribal efforts to protect the monarch butterfly. I'm Sean Spruce. You've been listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. Support by the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian, presenting Ancestors Know Who We Are, a new online exhibition that features works by six contemporary black indigenous women artists. Joelle Joyner, Paige Pettibon, Moira Pernambuco, Monica Rickert-Bolter, Stormy Weber, and Rodslin Brown, addressing race, gender, multiracial identity, and intergenerational knowledge. More at AmericanIndian.si.edu. Hey, 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.